the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. He's changing our perspective so that we can step up and do what he's created us to do. And yes, he wants us to do good for others. And yes, he wants to do good for ourselves. But ultimately, he wants us to work for his glory. Someone put it this way. God wrecks us so that we can be a wrecking ball. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus Christ like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhillchurch.com. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Every new year, we think of things we want to do. And by about January the 12th, we recognize that we're not doing some of those things. All of us have things we wish we would have done, that we could have done, that maybe we should have done, that we didn't do. What if this would be the year that we do the things we want to do? What if this is the year that we make a difference for the good of others, for the good of ourselves, and for the glory of God? If not now, when? Now's the time. Let's determine that this will be the year that we become difference makers. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 20. That's where we're going to find a verse we're going to focus on for the next three weeks. But since Easter of 2019, we have been walking through the book of Acts, and we have watched as Jesus ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit descended from heaven, God's people were sent out, the church was born, people were dramatically changed, people like this guy named Saul, who became Paul, who was a persecutor of the church, that became a missionary of the church, and by the time we get to Acts 19, he's on his third missionary journey around the known world. And Acts 19 is quite an eventful chapter. Because in Acts 19, we see the significance of the Holy Spirit in an individual's life. In fact, let me just give you one truth we learned when we walked through Acts 19. We learned that the witness of the Holy Spirit in an individual's life is the one piece of indisputable evidence that a person possesses a sincere relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit. You know if God is with you. Because the Holy Spirit of God is dwelling within you. Sometimes the Holy Spirit of God comforts us when we need comfort. Sometimes he convicts us when we need conviction. But he is with us. And the person walking in the Spirit of God is an evident follower of Jesus. 
Now at the end of Acts chapter 19, there's an uproar in Ephesus. There's an uproar because a man who is a silversmith is beginning to complain because people are being converted to faith in Christ and so no longer are they putting in their orders for idols to him and his business is going down. So they literally go into the large Colosseum there in Ephesus and they begin to rumble about the apostle Paul and all that he's doing. And so by the time we get to Acts 20, Paul has left Ephesus. The uproar has settled down. Paul's continuing on his journey. He's aiming to go to Jerusalem. Now there's a part of Acts 20 that I kind of would like to hang out in. We're not going to, but let me just remind you what it says because it's one of the funniest passages in scripture. And maybe this is why I got the namesake, the apostle Paul, because the Bible says in Acts chapter 20 that on his way to Jerusalem, Paul has stopped at a place called Troas and there in Troas, he's preaching late one night and he goes kind of long. He's a long winded pastor Paul. He goes kind of long and a man named Eutychus who's apparently sitting in the windowsill trying to get the fresh air to keep him awake. It doesn't work. He falls asleep. He falls out from maybe three stories and he falls down and the Bible says that he's dead. The apostle Paul goes and in what is implied a resurrection, the apostle Paul picks him up and says, hey, he's not dead. And I imagine the service had quite a big invitation at that point. But the Bible says that after that experience, Paul continues his journey and he sets sail for Jerusalem. And that's what we're going to focus on today. But before we dive into this passage, would you join me once more in a time of prayer? So Heavenly Father, it's with gratitude for the gift of life that we've gathered today. Many of us also saying thank you because you've given us new life. We know that we do have victory in Jesus. We know that the grave has been defeated, that sin has no hold on us. We can say hallelujah. We can sing praise to you. And so we've gathered with that intent. Lord, we've also gathered to open your word and to hear you speak. So give us ears to hear, a mind to receive, eyes to see. God, teach us what we haven't learned Give us what we don't yet have. Make us into men and women, boys and girls, that we long to be for your glory. Lord, I pray that the words I say and even my thoughts would please you. You're my strength. You're my redeemer. You're the reason we've gathered. You're the one who can save. And and we ask that today you would do that as well, that someone would walk out of here different. They would be saved. They would become a Christ follower because they're here. That someone today would be in Christ for your glory. And for all this, we also say thank you, and we ask this in the mighty name of you, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 20, we're going to begin reading in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he set to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So you see, he's really not interested in going back to Ephesus, where there was an uproar. He's done with Asia, it's told us in the scriptures. He's on his way to Jerusalem, but he's got some unfinished business. He wants to straighten out these leaders in Ephesus to help them understand why he does what he does, what's motivating him. And and really, that's something that you've got to decide as you embark on a new year. What is driving you? What's motivating you? What's causing you to be the person that you are? 
And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know that I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life as of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And that verse, Acts 20, 24, will be the passage that we focus on over the next three weeks, each of these giving us a word that will guide us, helping us to launch into this year, saying, if not now, when? Look at verse 24 again, and I want to see the part of this passage that we're going to focus on today. Let's say this together. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. I'm going to read that one more time. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. Heresy, that sounds like heresy. We're children of God. Every life is valuable. Every life is precious, right? That's what we quote when we talk about the sanctity of human life. Psalms 139, verse 13, for I formed you, you, you formed my inward parts. You knitted my, my, me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God is our, our, our maker, Jeremiah teaches us that he knows us in our mother's womb. So what would make Paul say this? What would make him say, I do not account my life as of any value, nor as precious to myself. One word. Perspective. Say perspective. It's your perspective that colors the way that you see everything. Perspective changes everything. Johnny Erickson was a teenage girl, 17 years old, when she had a diving accident. Her neck and her spinal cord were broken. She would never walk again. But I, get, I began to know of her after she was married. Her married name, Johnny Erickson Tata. She had begun to share her story and her faith in Christ. When I first was introduced to her, she had begun to be a painter. Paralyzed from head to toe, she painted with her mouth. A paintbrush in her mouth and she began to paint. She began to write. She began to tell her story of her faith in Christ. Her book on the suffering of people. Is one of the most encouraging books you'll read. What allows a person who goes through that kind of tragedy, what allows them to have faith in God? At 17 years old, her life was ruined, right? I would say it's her perspective. 
In fact, she said, perspective is everything when you're experiencing the challenges of life. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at MissionHillChurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Perspective affects the way you see people. Perspective affects the way you see the events in your life, your circumstances. Perspective affects the way you even experiencing your faith. Perspective is your filter. And all of us have a filter. I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this. And, And so I think in our culture today, I can give you two words that illustrate it as well as any other words in the English language. These two words will help you think about that idea of filter, that we all are seeing things through a filter. Are you ready for these two words? Here they are, Donald Trump. All of society in our culture today is thinking about that person through a filter. Some love him to death. He can do no wrong. He's the greatest thing ever. Others think he's the devil incarnate. He can do no right. Just an illustration, all that is, not a political statement, just a recognition that in life, we go through life and we have filters. We're looking at everything we see through a filter. For some of you, it's your vocation that's guided your filter. For, for others of you, it's your portfolio, it's your wealth that guides your filter or your lack thereof. For some of you, it's your preferences in life. For some of us, it's our faith. What guides your filter? I would tell you that the Apostle Paul had a filter that changed everything. That brings us back to our key verse. Remember what it said? But I do not account my life as of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I might finish my course. He had a filter that changed everything. What gives you that kind of perspective? Paul's filter had been changed because he had been changed. Do you remember his story? Acts chapter 9, a man named Saul, a persecutor of Christians, a Jewish rabbi, the best of the best of Jewish rabbis, was on his way to Damascus. The Bible says that he meets Jesus face-to-face. He encounters the Lord. And he's converted. In that moment, he becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. Just one of the many examples in Scripture that teach us that there's a time in your life where you become a follower of Christ. It's hardly a week that goes by that I don't meet someone that says something like this. Oh, I've always been a Christian, or I've always been a follower of God. Uh, That's just not true. Uh, The Bible teaches that there's a point in time where you recognize your sinfulness. You, you, You see the need for a savior. You surrender the control of who you are to who he is and you become a follower of Christ. Uh, For Paul, we read about that in Acts chapter nine on that Damascus road. He encountered Jesus. Nothing changes 
your perspective like a healthy view of God and a healthy view of self. When you truly see God for who he is and you truly see yourself for who you are, it changes your perspective. That's what I want you to take into this new year. Nothing changes your perspective like a healthy view of God and a healthy view of self. And one of the best passages in scriptures that illustrate that for us is from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six. I was just in the last couple of weeks in the land of Israel and went to the area called Qumran where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And in the Dead Sea Scrolls, we we find these preserved fragments of the scriptures written by Isaiah where he said these words. Isaiah chapter six, beginning in verse one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. From that moment, the prophet Isaiah had a different perspective. What did Paul and Isaiah have in common? They both encountered God. They both met God in a personal way. Oh, that we could say one year from now, we have met God in a personal way. Oh, that we would encounter God and it would so change us. It would so move us. It would so mark us that we are different and we become difference makers. But notice how this began because this is important to some of you. It says in the, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now that's important. It's important because it marks it in history. But it's also important because it, it tells us something about the grief that the prophet Isaiah was experiencing in the moment. In the year that King Uzziah died. In a, in a moment of grief. Could it be that the greatest single moment in your life may not be on a mountaintop. In a season of prosperity. But in the valley in the depths of despair. What if God wants to take that difficult time you're walking through, that challenge that you don't see a way out of, that hurdle that you have to overcome, what if he wants to use that as the place where you encounter God? Those moments where you think God is hurting you, 
And you're able to look back and actually see that he was holding you. That he was helping you. And so what happens in this passage of scripture is Isaiah lets us see a healthy view of God and a healthy view of man. Remember, nothing changes our perspective like a healthy view of God and a healthy view of man. And it's really all summed up in one phrase that Isaiah utters. I saw the Lord, how? High and lifted up. God is high, man is low. You want a healthy view of God and a healthy view of man? That's where you start. God is high, man is low. God is holy. God is sovereign. God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. God's omnibenevolent. God is ever present. God is gracious. God is forgiving. God is merciful. God is almighty. And man is depraved, sinful, defeated, helpless, in need of his holiness. For Isaiah, the preeminent attribute of God is his holiness. And so he says that, right? Holy, holy, holy. When you get that right view of God, you recognize above everything else, God is holy. Yes, he's loving but he's holy. Yes, he's just because he's holy. Oh, yes, he's a God of grace because he's holy. And yes, he's a God who set the law in motion because he's holy. God's holiness is the thing that rises above everything. And when you get a glimpse of God's holiness in the mirror, the reflection of his holiness, you see your depravity. And so after saying that God is holy, what does Isaiah say about himself? Whoa, whoa is me. And the next words are different depending on the translations. I read from the ESV and it says, I am lost. The old King James says, I am undone. Some translations say, I am doomed. I think I may like this one the best. It says, I am no longer. Because when I see God for who he is, I don't account my life as of any value, nor as precious to myself. Do you see? A healthy view of God and a healthy view of me. I begin to recognize that whatever I face, God is, and I'm no longer. See, God may take away all of you so that you can see all of him. And when you truly see all of him, then all of you can be used for his glory. But he may need to break you. He he may need to hurt you. He, He may need to allow you to walk through the valley of despair. He may need to ruin you. Think about that. God loves you so much, he wants to ruin you. Why? Because he wants to use you for his glory 
right where you are. So another lesson from Isaiah and then on to Paul. Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. God is high, man is low. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. I'm undone. I'm no longer. And then God says, you got it. So here's the deal, Isaiah. There's a job to be done. Who's going to do it for me? And what does Isaiah say? Here I am. Send me. See, God is changing our perspective so that we can say, if not now, when? He's changing our perspective so that we can step up and do that, what he's created us to do. And yes, he wants us to do good for others. And yes, he wants to do good for ourselves. But ultimately, he wants us to work for his glory. Someone put it this way, God wrecks us so that we can be a wrecking ball. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhillchurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhillchurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhillchurch.com. And join us next Sunday at noon for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, AM 570 and 910.